people said, Amen. Please be seated. Well, once again, good morning. It's great to have you here. We welcome you. And uh, we are on the road to Easter. That's the sermon series we're in. We're going to be in that one right up until Easter Sunday, which is coming a little earlier this year. It's the last Sunday in March. But we're on the road to Easter, and it's basically based on the, the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is uh, the first Gospel that was written. It's the shortest Gospel, and in some ways it's kind of the easiest one. It's 16 chapters long. The first eight chapters deal with a single question. The next eight chapters deal with two other questions, okay? We have already picked it up because we're not looking at the first eight chapters because the first eight chapters were all built around this particular question. Here are the three questions that Mark has built around anyway. Who is Jesus to me? That was the first eight chapters, okay? It took Jesus eight chapters about um, almost all of his ministry. Almost all three years of his ministry were built teaching the disciples the answer to this one question, which they finally get when they're up at a place called Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus says, okay, who am I really to you? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Took three years of people going, oh, who is this guy? And the disciples, and what's going on here? Before they finally said, I got it, you are the Christ. Then Jesus immediately begins to teach what he's, here going, what he's going to do and what he wants us to do. And he only has about oh, a few weeks, maybe six at the most, to do this. Because as soon as he, they answer the question, he turns around and he starts walking down towards Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be arrested, tried, convicted, crucified, died, buried, and then resurrected. That's why we call it the road to Easter. And the last eight chapters, he's going to answer these two questions. What's his purpose? What's he want me to do? And here it is in a nutshell, right here. What he says in a nutshell is Jesus came to give his life away for the sake of others and then receive it back again. He came to give us his life and then receive it back in what we call the resurrection. What he wants from us? Well, how about this? Ready? He calls me to give my life away for the sake of others and then receive it back again. We call that eternal life. Dedicating our life to Jesus Christ, receiving him as Lord and Savior, and we receive back eternal life. Now that's in a nutshell everything is going to teach us in Mark chapters 9 through 16. Now there's going to be a lot of other stuff we're looking at, but basically those are the two answers to those questions, number two and three. Ready to move on? Here we go. Jesus then left that place. Remember the last time he was up around Capernaum and he was teaching about how we need to uh, not cut people off simply because they're different. Jesus then left that place and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as was his custom, he taught them. I don't have a pointer to this, but take a look at this map so that you can see. Okay, way up at the top is Caesarea Philippi. Now down here, of course, is Jerusalem. That's where uh, Jerusalem is where he's headed and Bethlehem's right outside. That's where he was born. Up about the middle of the map, you see uh, Cana and Nazareth. That's where he was raised. That's where he came into... Whoa, how about that? Who's... That's impressive, Chelsea. Okay, that's very, very good. Okay, so at any rate, there's where... Now, that's where he's been spending most of his ministry. He's now moved down into, just, just right below Jerusalem, you see a little area called Judea. Keep your pointer coming down, 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 right in there. Just kind of go around and around a little bit. This is where he is right now. He's not quite in Jerusalem, but he's real close. Remember it says that he came down into the area of Judea and across the Jordan. So he's kind of walking around. He's taking his time teaching people. He's not in Jerusalem yet, but he's real, real. He's so close to Jerusalem, in fact, that the Pharisees who pretty much congregate in Jerusalem now have access to him. And they're going to walk out to talk to him because he's only a few miles away from Jerusalem. It's going to take him a few more days to get to Jerusalem, a few more weeks in our study, but he's going to be in Jerusalem pretty quickly. So you see how this whole thing worked? He started up at Caesarea Philippi, way up there, and now he's walking down on the road to Easter, 
And now he's around Judea and across the Jordan. Ready? Here we go. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for the man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Let's stop right there. Okay. They were asking a gotcha question. They were testing him. They really wanted to embarrass him. Because if he had said, oh, well, no, you can't do that, then he would say, I see you're against the law. But if they said, oh, yeah, you can give her a certificate of divorce, he said, see, he's just like us. They always thought they had Jesus. But Jesus, of course, can't be had by gotcha questions. So he throws it back on them and says, okay, tell me, what do you see in the word? And they said, well, Moses said we give her a certificate of divorce. And then Jesus says this. It, would be, it was because of your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now let's stop right there. For many in this room, that's kind of a hard thing to hear. I understand. For the disciples, it was even harder. I'll tell you why in just a few minutes. We want to remember that this is what God had always intended. We also understand and realize that there's forgiveness. And so I just want to help people, if you happen to be divorced, we're not talking about what you've done. I don't even want to hear about it. We're talking from now on, how are we going to live? From this day on, beginning January 31st, 2016, for the rest of our lives, how will we live? And what will we do? What you've done well, we can cover that under the blood of Jesus Christ. We'll leave it. It's over. Beginning today, for the rest of our lives, how are we going to live? He goes on. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have them touch, touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Okay. The disciples are confused. They are absolutely confused. They are flabbergasted at what's just happened. They don't understand any of it. Everything that they thought they knew about women and marriage and the family and children has just been turned on its head by Jesus Christ. And they don't get it. They thought they understood exactly what marriage was supposed to be and how women were supposed to be treated and how children were supposed to be treated. And Jesus comes along and he turns it all right on their head. And what he says to them is, really, you're looking at it all wrong. In fact, if he were looking at us and talking to us today, he'd probably say to many of us, you know what, you're looking at life all wrong. So let's get right to the point this morning. Ready? We're right there, right there in your sermon notes. Here it is. This is what I need to do, according to what we've just read. I need to learn to look at everything through the lens of 
Jesus. Those of us who wear glasses know how important it is to have the right lenses. I didn't actually begin to wear glasses until I was in my mid-40s. I had, for whatever reason, 20-20 vision, and boom, it just went like that. And things just didn't look quite right, so I put on my glasses for the first time, and boy, things really looked weird when I first put them on. But you know what happened is, is things became a little clearer. Now, I can still see without these glasses. Now I have not just glasses, I have bifocals, and they tell me I should probably be wearing trifocals. If I took these glasses off and I looked up there, I can see you. I can see that back screen. But I can't see detail. I can see, and I probably know who you are without my glasses. I probably, yeah, I recognize you. You're fuzzy. I don't know why. Y'all need a shave is what you need. I put this down, and if I look up there, I can see the back. And when I put it down, suddenly you're clear, and the words are clear. And because I'm wearing the right lenses... It's not that I'm blind without them, it's that putting them on gives me a clarity that I didn't have on my own. One time I got a new prescription, and those of us who wear glasses know that from time to time you need to go back because your eyesight changes, and so I got the prescription and I ordered the glasses, and glasses came in and I put them on, and, and I got a headache, and it was terrible, and I was dizzy, and I, turns out, they were the wrong prescription. I had to take them back, and they had to give me brand new glasses. When I put on the right prescription, when I put on the right lenses, you know what? Everything became clear. It's amazing when you're wearing the right lens. We can't look through the lens of our old lives and see the details of life clearly. Scripture tells us this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. The way that they see the world, the way they think about the world is futile and that's the way you used to live. That's the way you used to be. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. You don't even get what's going on. You don't understand what's going on because you're, you're looking at life through your old eyes. He goes on to say, because of, the because of the ignorance that is in them and due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. That's what happens when you don't look through the proper lens. When you look through the, through the lens of, of our old lives, there's, it stirs up the wrong emotions within us. It stirs up the wrong actions. We don't get how we should live. Many of us are still trying to look through a lens that isn't correct. And the reason we're not quite getting life, the reason we're not quite getting our relationships is the lenses that we're wearing are the wrong prescription. See, many of us still look at the world through some of these lenses. Right here, take a look at these. See if you can agree with this. Some people still see the world through fear or anger. Or maybe it's your past hurt or your past life that has so colored the way you view the world that you actually are wearing them like lenses and they color everything that you see. For some people it's guilt and for some people it's shame. Do you know the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt is what you feel because of things you have done. Shame is what you feel because of who you think you are. And of the two, guilt can be removed. Shame is a killer. But for many of us, shame-based personalities, guilt-based personalities, that's the lens that you see. The people around you, the relationships you're in, the world. 
No wonder we're not getting it right. The lens of selfishness. See, these are the old life. That's the way, and sometimes when we come into this new life in Jesus Christ, sometimes we allow these every now and then, and for some it's a lot to become the lens by which we see the world. And that was the problem with the disciples. They were looking at women, they were looking at Mary, they were looking at the kids with the wrong lens. When you looked at it through Jesus Christ, suddenly everything got turned on its head. And here's the point. It is possible to learn to, lend, to see through the lens of Jesus Christ. It is possible. We can do it. It can be done. It's, it's, I'm not here trying to tell you that it's hopeless and you can't do anything about it and so you're just going to struggle. I'm here to tell you that you don't have to struggle. You can learn to look through the lens of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul wrote this. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given in us. In other words, through his spirit, I actually can learn to look at the world correctly through the lens of Jesus Christ. And when I look at the world and my relationships and who I am through the lens of Jesus Christ, some of my values are going to be turned upside down, but I'm going to learn how I should be living properly and how I'm supposed to be treating the people around us. Now, I'm going to repeat myself. I've told you this many, many times, but you're going to hear it time and time again. If you really want to learn to look through the lens of Jesus Christ, I want you to study the life of Jesus Christ. Fortunately, there are four books in the Bible that are devoted exclusively to the life of Jesus Christ. And those books are, we call them collectively what? The Gospels, which means good news. Here's the good news. This is what Jesus did. And those four books are Matthew... Mark, which you're in, Luke, and John. Three of them we call synoptic gospels because they have kind of a same point of view. They all kind of sound similar and they share the same material, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then the fourth one is, is all on its own. It's called John. And in John, he presents material that isn't in the other ones. It was written last. It was kind of the thing that said, okay, I've seen what people have written. That's wonderful. They left out these things. Here's what you need to know. You need to know the story of Jesus. You need to know the life of Jesus. You need to know the values of Jesus. You need to know the stories in his life so well that if somebody walks up to you and says, you know, I read, this is one thing, this is what happened to Jesus. Jesus said this, and they give you the first three parts of the sentence, you should be able to finish it. If someone walks up and says, you know, I was reading about this thing that happened in the, in the life of Jesus, and he did this, and they give you a little bit of the story, you should be able to finish it. And if you can't, you don't know him. You're not studying it enough. Stop what you're studying. Stop it. Stop reading the Old Testament. Stop reading everything else. Stop it. Until you know the life of Jesus. Because if you can't see through the lens of Jesus Christ, you're going to get it wrong. Read them. Read Matthew. Then read Mark. Then read Luke. Then read John. And then read Matthew and Mark and Luke and read them, and read them, and read them until you know the life of Jesus so well that you know how he thinks. You know what he did in situations. You know what makes him angry. You know what makes him happy. Because if you can't see through the lens of Jesus, you're wearing the wrong prescription, and you're going to get it wrong. In this passage right here, 
There are three things that the disciples got wrong because they weren't looking through the lens of Jesus. Jesus, in this passage, this passage we just read, talks about, okay, if you look at these three things through my lens, it's going to change how you see. Ready? Here's the first thing that is going to change, that I need to change to look at through the lens of Jesus Christ, and it's simply this, my culture. Right there. Let me tell you about the, uh, the disciples' culture. They're disciples, and, and if you look at the disciples and you think, you, sometimes you get exasperated with them because, my word, why are you keeping the kids away? and all that? It's because their culture taught them this. If you ever get disgusted with them, remember that this is how they were brought up. They were only echoing the values of their culture. In their culture, women and children were things and nothing more. They had little value except that they could be used by men. And that was it. Let me show you from the writings of that time what some of the Jewish leaders taught their people. Here it is. It is not possible to have a world without either males or females, but happy is the one whose children are males, and woe for him whose children are females. The disciples were brought up on that. See the next one. And the Lord blessed Abraham in all things, is from Genesis chapter, and there's two rabbis talking back and forth. And what is the meaning of in all things? Rabbi Meir says, well, because he had no daughter. In other words, why do we know that Abraham was so blessed? All of his children were sons. Yeah. That's how the disciples were raised. Let's go on. These are the actual rules right here for who could testify in court during the first century. Let not a single witness be credited, but three, or two at least, and those such whose testimony is confirmed by their good, good lives. But... Let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. You couldn't even trust the word of a woman. And that's how they were raised. That was their culture. Even today, many observant Jews pray the 13 blessings every morning of God that they've prayed for thousands of years. And three of them are right here on the board. Blessed are you, they're talking to God, that you did not make me a non-Jew or a Gentile. Blessed are you, that you did not make me a slave. Blessed are you, that you did not make me a woman. Still today. That was their culture. They were so influenced by their culture. That's why the disciples reacted the way that they did when Jesus started to speak about how important women were. That's why the disciples reacted the way they did in the book of Luke. And we call the, the book of Luke um, the, the book of Gentiles and the book of women because Jesus elevated the place of women even in ministry. And the, the disciples just couldn't get it. Their whole culture told them something completely different. And Jesus said, because you're looking through the eyes of your culture, you're not looking through my eyes. It was never supposed to be this way. Ever. So here's the point right here. Don't let the culture determine my values. Don't do that. And while we even say that, you know what we have. Come on, we know we have. It's so hard not to. If you tell me where you were born and raised, I can probably tell you the way you see the world. It's just that way. 
Did you know that uh, in Massachusetts it has the highest percentage of uh, Democrats of any state in the Union? And that Wyoming has the highest percentage of Republicans? Why is that? Do you think that it's a genetic thing that, you know, Democrats, there's a Democratic gene and there's a Republican gene and you just kind of, you know. Why is it that Massachusetts has so many Democrats and Wyoming has so many Republicans? Well, I'll tell you why. Because in Massachusetts, where there are so many Democrats, Democrats and Democratic values are spoken of highly and probably Republicans and Republican values are not. And that's the way kids are raised and so that's what they grow up believing. And in Wyoming... It's Republicans and Republican values and Republican presidents. They're talked about very, very highly. And Democrats, I've been to Wyoming, I've been to that whole area, are not necessarily held in that high esteem. And kids grow up knowing that and believing that. Boom. Do they have higher percentage because they just kind of gravitate that way? You know, if you're born a Democrat, you just feel this pull to, to, to live in Massachusetts? No. Because that's the culture. And people grow up with the values of that. Are you saying, those of you, I'm saying to you, if you are a diehard Republican, that if you were born and raised in Massachusetts, you'd probably be Democrat? Absolutely, you would. Because that's how you've been raised. That's the way it works, guys. How about the values of, I'm born in Southern California. I carry Southern California values with me, I do. Even though I, I pastor for over 14 years in cattle country and farming country, for four, I was there, but boy, it didn't make me a rancher, that's for sure. I'm from Southern California. Southern California values versus Southern Alabama values are a little different. If you're born and raised in that culture, you see the world differently. Farmer, rancher versus inner city. Middle class white, versus poverty-stricken minority. It's your culture. Change the way that you see the world. There's no way around it. I can't ever stop denying or being influenced by my Southern California kind of laid-back, SoCal, sit on the beach. I was also raised in the 60s. Boy, did that really shape me. But here's my problem. If that's the only culture, if that's the only value that I have, then I'm going to see the world so differently. I'm going to make some stupid decisions. What I've got to do is fight against all of those things that have influenced me and understand that there's a different way to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. That's why the Bible says this. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Boy, that would be great. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to the level of maturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. You want to be able to see through the lenses. You want to be able to fight that culture and the values of that culture, which probably have twisted the way you see. Sometimes the lens of your culture is influencing how you see things out there. You learn about Jesus. And you study his life. Because Jesus transcends those cultures. He's not Southern Cal. He's not Republican or Democrat. He's not Southern Alabama. Jesus transcends it all. And he says, when you learn to see the things around you through my eyes, your culture will still have an influence, 
but not your values. How you live, what's important to you, the way you treat the world, and the way you treat the people around you can be set by my lens, Jesus says, and not your culture. You want the second thing? That we have to really see through the lens of Jesus? You're going to believe this one, the Bible. Yep, the Bible. You say, come on. The Bible is the Word of God. All we have to do is read that. No, you don't. One of the biggest mistakes the world makes today, one of the biggest mistakes the church makes today is to read the Bible without the lens of Jesus Christ. If you read the Bible without the lens of Jesus Christ, you're going to walk away with some of the craziest ideas you ever heard. Let's talk tattoos, shall we? <laughs> tattoos. I don't have any tattoos. I don't, I don't really see the, uh, the idea of someone sticking me with needles. Is just, I'm just not into it. And, and, uh, and art, it's, just, it's not my thing. It's not a problem. I don't, I don't have any problem with tattoos, but nah, I don't, I don't see myself getting a tattoo. But I've, I've had to deal with lots of people who have tattoos, and lots of people are very, very upset. That with tattoos. That's happened. It hasn't happened recently, but it has happened as people come to me and they love to quote this passage right here. Let me show you this passage. Here it is. What can you do? The Bible says this, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put, or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. There it is, guys. That's what it says. Sorry. So now some of you right now are, you know, your kid or your your friend, I told you so, I told you so. And others are kind of covering up or whatever they're doing. Okay. When people have come to me and said, uh, see, see, this is what the Bible says. What I love to do is, is say, that's, that's true. Could we read the, the verse just before this one together? Because the one just before this one says this right here. Don't cut the hair on the sides of your head or clip off the edges of, edges of your beard. And I look at them. <laughs> with their short hair and their clean shaven and say, on the way to hell, are you? <laughs> side by side. Juxtaposition. If you know what the term means, it means side by side. Isn't that funny? We can look at that one and then we just kind of ignore that one. And the reason is we're not looking through the lens of Jesus. You want some other ones from the Old Testament that we're all violating all the time? Take a look at this one. Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Anybody ever had a, had a what is it, a, a mule, right? Uh, isn't that horse and a donkey? An abomination, according to God. Don't plant your field with two kinds of seeds. Farmers, are you growing any other crop except one? If you are, hmm. Don't wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Boy, have you checked? The label of the clothing that you're wearing right now, you decadent sinners on your way to hell, violating the word of God, even as you sit in his sanctuary. What's wrong with you all? There it is. Yeah, we're all on our way. Okay, why? Because we're not looking at this through the lens of Jesus Christ. And that was the problem with the disciples. They looked at the Old Testament about marriage and divorce and said, yeah, Jesus, no, you got it all wrong. Let's look at it properly. Ready? 
See, here's what I want you to write down. This is what's so important. Jesus is the final word. That's why don't come to me with things that you find in the Old Testament until you can tell me what it means through the eyes of Jesus Christ, until you have actually read and studied and understand the life of Jesus Christ and the values of Jesus Christ. Then come to me with something that you found, and we will talk about it through the lens of Jesus. That's why Jesus says this in Matthew. Don't suppose for a minute that I've come to demolish the Scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete them. I'm going to put it all together and put it all together in a vast panorama. Jesus said, look, when you understand what my Father and I wrote together in the Old Testament, when you understand it through my eyes, it will become really, really clear. See, Jesus lets us know that some of what we read in the Old Testament was there because of God's gracious understanding of humanity, and he knew that we weren't ready for the full truth. Remember, he said, let me tell you why Moses put that in. It's because your hearts, your hearts were hard. You couldn't handle it. I watched A Few Good Men this week, that great line. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth! And that's what God said to humanity in the Old Testament. You can't handle the truth yet. If I were to tell you what I really want from you, you can't handle it. So in my graciousness, I'm going to set some rules. I'm going to put a few things aside. I'm going to tell you how you should be living for your own protection. But one day I'm going to send my son and he's going to tell you the truth. You probably still can't handle it, but it'll be time to hear it. And Jesus shows up and tells us the truth. Now, don't you do that with your kids? Are your children, your six and seven, are they really ready for the truth? How many of you really sat down with them and talked about sexual truth yet? They're not ready yet, are they? One day they will be, but not now. There was a time when all of humanity wasn't ready yet. So God lays out in his graciousness and understanding then finally sends his son, but now let me tell you what I really want. But you can only understand that if you are wearing the lens of Jesus. See, in Jesus Christ, humanity grew up. And God said, now you're ready for it. Let me tell you what I really want. And Jesus even kind of boils it all right down in the Bible, doesn't he? To two statements, doesn't he? What are those two statements? What are they? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a second is like it. You shall. All the law and prophets hang on those two statements, Jesus says. Jesus said, when you see it through my eyes and through my lens here, all I'm trying to get you to do is love God passionately with all of your being and then love the people around you as well. And if you can do that and get a tattoo and you don't mind the pain, good luck. Fine with me. I'll even comment and and congratulate you on it and say to myself, me, babe, I don't want those needles. I stay away from needles as much as possible. But looks good on you. And then I'm going to cut the sides of my... uh, and shave my whiskers. 
because I can love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and my neighbors, myself, and do those things I can do it when I look through the lens of Jesus. One final thing that Jesus said, you're going to have to look through the lens of my, through my lens. You're going to have to put on this lens if you're really going to understand what God wants. Okay, we already talked about the culture, the culture that influenced the disciples into their values and he said, don't do that. Don't let your culture set your values. And we talked uh, just, uh, just what we've just been discussing about the fact that, that we, we have to even look through the Word in the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ, everything that God has said. It. Now, he says, I want you to look at my family through my lens. Look through the family through the lens of Jesus, and you're going to see it differently. Now, when they look through the, lens, when they look through the Old Testament, when they look through their culture, and they look at the family, is what they thought. The family is there for a man's benefit, and if he wants to get rid of his wife, he can because the Old Testament said, as a matter of fact, what the Old Testament said is if a man fi finds his wife undesirable, some unpleasantness within her, he can write her a certificate of divorce. And the liberal rabbis even said that means if she puts too much pepper on his dinner, she can he can write her a little certificate and off she goes. And Jesus comes back and says, no, 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 no. That's because your, hard, your hearts were hard. I'm here now to tell you the truth. And the truth is, marriage is supposed to last for your entire life. That's your commitment. And when the disciples heard that, in Matthew, they even say a little bit more. This is what they say in Matthew when they read about it. They said, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. <laughs> if I can't dump this lady anytime I want, if I am stuck with her for the rest of my life, I think I'll stay single. That's how they thought. Can you believe it? See, when you look at the family through the eyes of Jesus Christ, through that lens, it changes how we see our spouse. It changes how we see our children. When Jesus speaks about marriage and the importance of little children, he's upsetting everything the disciples ever stood about the family. And he still does it to this very day. To this very day. We have redefined marriage as to a place where I can get my needs met. That's why we get married, so that my needs can be met. Which means, if my needs are not being met, what happens? Get a new spouse! Because my needs aren't being met. And that's the point of marriage. And as long as that is the point of marriage... Well, then, of course, we're going to go from spouse to spouse to spouse. No other human being can meet all your needs. And that's why you're frustrated in trying to find so many spouses. Because you're trying, you're looking for something that can't be found. I'm going to give you the most important family scripture verse right here. Here it is. Ready? This is it. This is the most important scripture about dealing with families, and it's right here. <clears throat> submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's Ephesians chapter 5.21. The reason that's really important is the very next verse, which is Ephesians 5.22, everybody has memorized, which is what? Wives, submit to your husbands. You all know that one really well, don't you? That's what Ephesians 5.22 says. But what you don't realize is Ephesians 5.21 says this. Before it even gets to that, as it's getting ready to talk about marriage, submit to one another. Now that is, through the eyes of Jesus Christ and through his lens, a description of the family. Is that a description of your family? 
If not, it's, you're not looking at your family through the lens of Jesus. You're looking through the lens of your culture, or your values, or whatever. But Jesus said, this is what I'm expecting from families. When you come together as husband and wife, and as children come into the home, what I'm expecting is in that home to be a Christ-centered family that all the members will submit to one another because that's the family. See, looking at that family through the lens of Jesus means this, and we're just about done. It means make serving my family my highest priority because that's what it means to submit. Submit doesn't mean your way, not my way. Submit doesn't mean you're better than I am. Submit doesn't mean, you know, you get everything, I get nothing. Submit means serving. Jesus submitted to us, and yet he didn't submit to our will. He submitted by dying for us. He submitted to his Father's will and did what his Father asked him to do, and he submitted to us by serving us. Now, we all have different roles to play in the family. Let's understand that, okay? We understand that, that men and women are different. They're created different. They have different needs. Children, obviously, are different. They have different needs. So the roles that we play within the family are going to be different. We're all created with unique gifts and strengths. Men and women think differently, in case you hadn't noticed that. They have different and unique needs that the partner is supposed to meet. And the partner must learn to accept those and meet them. That's why the Bible says this, because it does go on to describe the roles, and here it is. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. Keep going. This, this delights the master no end. Parents, don't come down so hard on your children that you'll crush their spirits. He says, look, the roles that you thought you had, the values that you had, the culture that says, here's what women should do, here's what men should do, here's what children should do, it's all nonsense. When you put on the right lens, here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you submit to one another and love one another and care for one another and build one another? Will you go into the relationship trying to meet other people's needs and not trying to just get your own needs met? Because if it's all about your own needs being met, we're going to change partners every two or three years. And we're going to raise up a crop of children that will fail. Submit to one another. I created men and women to be together. He says, I created children to be loved and nourished and cherished, and I created those children to be able to look at their parents and say, that's the way a man treats a woman. That's the way a wife treats a godly man. That's how people live. Submitting to one another. How do you know this? From reading the Old Testament? No, 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 no. From your values, from your code? No. Through the lens of Jesus. That's what he's been talking about. Through the lens of Jesus, my culture, the Word of God, but especially my family. That's what he's trying to get across to the disciples. Remember, we talked long ago about Jesus making, making Jesus the, the main thing. Well, he's going to continue that now to say, let's talk about what it means. I need you to look at the world through my lens. And how are we going to do that? You're going to study the life of Jesus and learn the life of Jesus and read the life of Jesus till you know it so well that it's 
his life and his values that influence what you see. Not your culture, not how you were raised, not your gender, ethnicity. Jesus. Father, the good news is this is possible. The bad news is, Father, it's not easy. We've got a lot to overcome. We have been so programmed by our culture and these other things, Father, and I mean it's programming. It's been in there, and it's just hard to see past that. Oh, Father. But your spirit is, is greater than all that, and spirit, we, we ask for your help right now as we open ourselves up to you to be able to fill us and use us and teach us and to break through that. And this week, Jesus, as, as we're looking at the world and we, we take off your lenses and we put on the lens of the cultures, and Father, would you just have your spirit nudge us a little bit and say, now, are we really seeing it through the lens of Jesus? And Father, maybe this week is the week that we make that commitment to really study and know and learn and absorb the life and value of Jesus so that we can understand what was important. Father, thank you for this possibility. We're going to claim it now. Amen. We're going to move into what we